I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded an episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly program addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join in the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on current cropping and crop management topics. I'm glad you could join us for today's session. Uh, we're talking about today delayed planting and possibly uh, dealing with flooding after planting, depending on where you are in the state. So it's basically, it's been a late spring. Now what? So these sessions are brought to you by University of Minnesota Extension and with very generous support from Minnesota Soybean Research and Promotions Council as well as the Minnesota Corn Growers Research and Promotion Council. And we would like to welcome three speakers today. One is Dr. Joachim Wiersma. He's up north, a small grains extension specialist. Seth Nave for soybean. And then also Dr. Jeff Coulter for the corn side of things. We also have moderating today, Dave Nikolai, extension educator in crops as well. And I think with that, I'd like to turn it over to Dr. Joachim Wiersma and ask what's going up north around Crookston there with the small grains. How are things going for planting? I know we dealt uh, in central Minnesota, but also northern Minnesota. Sounds like it's been pretty wet. You know, around here, around where I am, Bruton area, we got closer to eight inches of rain. We had quite a bullseye here. And you've been seeing a lot of similar weather up there too, haven't you? Yep, we're wet. Bottom line. Um, and so planting is delayed. People are planting corn, beans, wheat, sugar beets, all at the same time, picking off fields. Um, I didn't look at the planting progress report from USDA because like many of you, I was trying to be in the field as well. Uh, we're late. So the question that comes to me most often is, should I still plant wheat or oats? And it's probably one of the worst years to make that decision. Uh, because of the commodity prices, you know, crop insurance and losing full coverage. Uh, Southern men lost full coverage May 15th. Uh, south of Highway 2 um, right now, I believe, is the end of this month. And then June 5th is, or June 10th, I believe, is the Canadian border, the third, basically, section of the state. Um, and so, but crop insurance is only part of it, given the very high commodity prices. Uh, you cross that against uh, switching to other crops, and some people are uh, still thinking corn this far north even, uh, and you're looking at drying cost. So a grower, just as an example, yesterday is still planting oats in Southern Min um, because they're worried that their corn and Jeff can answer those questions better has he has better odds he thinks with oats than he had with corn at this point given the prices where the commodities are um, obviously you lose full coverage yield potential uh, very much depends on the rest of the summer if we stay wet and humid our yield potentials are greatly reduced. Uh, the rule of thumb is half a bushel to a bushel per day delay. So we're looking at probably 
half to two thirds of a max crop. In the case of oats, the big risk, because most of the oats is being uh, used in the food market, is loss of test weight. That's less of a concern in the case of wheat. Um, we generally don't lose as much test weight in wheat. Uh, the crop can handle the heat a little bit better, but we are looking at probably two thirds of a crop at this point in time. Um, for the rest, you know, rotations matter. Uh, I know that anybody that has sugar beets will plant wheat in front of the sugar beet acres next year, basically come hell and high water. That's about it as far as what to do or not to do. So Joachim, especially thinking about wet conditions and small grains, we talk about disease a lot in that realm of things. So what's your outlook for diseases so far, at least that you can take a stab at? Obviously we got some time till we have a better idea. So, so if history is any precedent, um, these are the years where Fusarium head blight has a greater risk. Uh, simply because if we have indeed a wetter summer and we're later, that seems to synchronize uh, the development of the spore production with uh, heading dates. Uh, time will tell. We have the risk models to help with that. And as you know, a lot of acres receive a fungicide at that time anyway. Uh, it's just a matter of then becoming what product you know, you go to a more, uh, a little bit higher efficacy product, the premium products, as we call them, versus uh, the more generic uh, follicure or propiconosol, uh, sorry. So, Joachim, one of the things that we sometimes run into, and Jeff will talk about this in corn, is adopting of a shorter season maturity hybrid. But uh, in the case of oats and, and spring wheat, is there such a thing as a recommendation if you are really going to go out there and and, uh, and plant and take a chance here? Would you pick on a specific variety that is more uh, fast-paced, early uh, maturity that would be better suited for a really late, late planting like this or anything on the oats or spring wheat side? So most of the spring wheats, okay, dog, don't eat the cord. Um, most of the spring wheats are daylight insensitive which means that their development is completely uh, run by heat units. And so there isn't much incentive to switch there. All the varieties, the development of it are gonna get compressed. I put a crop news out a week or a week and a half ago, what that looks like for the growing season. Eventually, even if you go into late, you know, middle to late June, the crop will make it. Whether or not it will dry down in time is the biggest question after that, um, because if you get to the Canadian border, uh, you know, you have a lot fewer days that will allow the crop to dry down. In the case of oats, it's a little bit different in that oats is more daylight sensitive. If you can find it, I would go to an earlier maturing oats. And oat seed was hard to get by, come by anyway this season. Um, but if you could, if you're still thinking of it, I would maybe switch to rains or one of the early maturing uh, South Dakota varieties. Dave, I think I'll turn it over to you for heading maybe a little further south. Yeah. Well, what's look, going on there? Well, I'm, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Coulter to unmute himself here and 
talk a little bit about where we are, where uh, we're at now, the, the 25th of May, Jeff, um, in, in terms of that, uh, I know that we off the air earlier, we were talking about a lot of Southern Minnesota has planted, but not necessarily everybody and, uh, in, and in some locations, but I read to the point where we definitely, uh, want to be able to change that relative maturity. Uh, is there anything else about planting, uh, management, population depth, anything else that you can tell us about um, what we should be thinking about? We're going to close in here close to this uh, Memorial Day weekend. Sure. Thanks, Dave. Yeah. So at this point, uh, planting through May 25, we still have 94 to 96% of maximum yield uh, based on, on all the planting day trials that we've done in Minnesota. And if planting is delayed until May 26 through May 30, we're probably looking at about 91 to 93% of maximum yield. So those numbers are not terrible in terms of yield potential. And I just like to stress again that for corn, the big determinant on corn yield are, is what are the weather conditions like, uh, you know, soil moisture level, heat, those kinds of things uh, during like the, the 12 days before tassels come out and then about two weeks after those tassels come out. That's really the critical period. Um, with regards to uh, relative maturities, uh, well, I guess I should back up and talk about latest recommended planting dates. Uh, so typically, uh, latest recommended planting dates for corn. So for corn grain would be uh, June 10 in Southern Minnesota and June 5 in Central and Northern Minnesota. The next thing we wanna think about is what relative maturity should we be using with this late planting? So right now, from now through May 28, we wanna be thinking about hybrids that are five to seven relative maturity units shorter than what is considered full season for your area. And for May 29 to June 4, we want to be looking at hybrids that are 8 to 15 relative maturity units shorter than full season. And for June 5 to June 10, then we want to be choosing hybrids that are 15 or more relative maturity units shorter than full season. Uh, and then when we think about that, we also need to think about what is full season for our area and were our initial hybrids that we ordered really full season. Uh, in many cases, what farmers order may be a couple relative maturity units earlier than what is really considered full season for their area. So that gives you a little cushion. Anything about uh, if you were looking at a recommendation, let's just pick on uh, South Central or Central Minnesota, maybe if they're a little bit farther behind. So what kind of a maturity range um, would that translate to for that section of the state? And in terms of that, are we looking at, uh, um, you know, say, for example, uh, a, a 90 or a 95 to 100 or what, where, where's your comfort range, perhaps for that South Central or Central part of the state? Yeah. So, you know, again, the, op the, full season relative maturity differs a lot based on, you know, micro environment where you are within a region. But, you know, if I said, you know, if you're in an area like say Hutchinson, uh, where the full season maturity hybrid is like 99 relative maturity, uh, you know, then you'd want to be backing down to something like uh, 92 to 94 relative maturity. Okay. Anything else about uh, uh, a management uh, 
you know, whatever you could get in um, at, at this point in time in, in terms of that. Some people like to make some changes on planting depth. Uh, we've got a lot of these high-speed planters out there. Any Anything uh, that comes to mind there? Yeah, great questions, Dave. So two inches is kind of the standard planting depth. I would not suggest recommending planting any shallower than, than that, and there's no need to plant deeper. Uh, that corn should come up fairly quickly uh, after planting since we have relatively warm temperatures now. The optimum final plant population also does not change. Uh, with delayed planting. So uh, no real need to be modifying any of your planting rate decisions. Okay. So Jeff, my question for you is uh, back when we had that derecho come through and all that rain, especially that bullseye around central Minnesota, a lot of folks were just getting their corn planted right before that came. So like in the case in our farm, corn's in, you get about eight inches of rain later, we had flooding even on sand ground, which we don't see out here normally. So it's uh, something that's, I think, on a lot of farmers' minds is wondering what's going to happen with their corns they planted where there was flooding occurring. So, you know, at this point, what can they be doing or what should they be keeping an eye out for in corn that actually is emerging? Yeah, well, uh, first, you know, want to make sure that it's still alive and that uh, it didn't die. So, you know, go out there, be digging up seedlings and uh, looking for signs of death, you know, orange to brown discolored tissue, those kinds of things. Um, you know, there may be some, um, some soil crusting that may be going on. So if it's dry enough where you can get out there now and use a rotary hoe, that may be beneficial. Um, on the other hand, you know, if uh, one is picking up kind of intermittent rainfall afterwards that can help to soften that crust and not make it such an issue. Um, so those are some things to think about. Another thing with all this rain is that uh, sometimes that can influence the actual planting depth on the corn. Say you're on a side hill and you got a lot of rain and that washes some soil off. You know, you planted that corn, say two inches deep. Well, you lose an inch of topsoil, it moves downhill. Now all of a sudden you're at a one inch deep planting depth and uh, that corn there can be at risk of, uh, you know, poor nodal root establishment later on if it dries out. So those may be some things to consider as well. Jeff, if we are to a point where, say, for example, somebody gets a little bit late, has livestock, um, is there a point where you want to go uh, if from uh, grain to a, a silage, you know, variety here at that type of but there's a point, obviously, in June where it's not really uh, profitable or economical uh, to grow a grain crop. Sure, yeah. Uh, we can plant corn silage up through about June 12 in central and northern Minnesota and up through about June 20th in southern Minnesota. So there's still some opportunities here, and even though our, our grain might, might be the situation with that, okay. I just want to mention if folks have a question, uh, there's a Q&A box on the bottom of the uh, Zoom screen. Uh, you can drop the questions in there. Anthony, were there anything else uh, that came in question-wise that would be appropriate, I guess, before we jump to uh, Seth that uh, Yoakum or, or Jeff could talk about from the uh, viewers from uh, uh, previously? Yeah, I do have a couple that would work well. And for people listening right now, um, at the very end during your search, Okay, there is an option to submit questions for the next week, so keep that in mind too. Um, but yeah, I think Jeff, the main one 
you kind of got into it a little bit. We talked about what's going on with the soil. Uh, denitrification in flooded fields was one of the questions that came up. Um, just monitor it for now, or folks who are dealing with fertilizer decisions too, kind of what's the course of action for flooding like that? Sure, yeah. If you had your nitrogen applied and uh, we had ponding out there, there's definitely going to be uh, denitrification. And uh, I guess the good news is, is the temperatures have kind of cooled off a little bit since we've got a lot of this rain. So that may have helped to reduce some of the denitrification compared to if we were in the 80s and 90s for temperatures. Uh, but yeah, if you put nitrogen down and you had, had ponding, uh, you're going to lose some nitrogen. Uh, you'll probably have enough to get the crop going, you know, but you may want to uh, think about if you need to put a, a side dress application on you know, 40 to 70 pounds of nitrogen per acre with that side dress application. And there's at, at the uh, University of Minnesota Extension website for crop production, there's a, a decision tool on the nutrient management uh, corner of the webpage and where, where you can kind of walk through the scenario of, you know, what's the crop look like? What were the weather conditions this spring? And it helps you kind of determine if you need a supplemental side dress and application. So that can be helpful, but uh, if you do need extra N, it's probably going to be in the range of 40 to 70 pounds of N per acre. Um, if you have an applied fertilizer and you had ponding, uh, then I don't think there's much to worry about. Um, and Jeff, that was, there's a follow-up question in there too, um, asking about adjusting nitrogen rates for corn based on planting date too. Yeah, so... Uh, my understanding, uh, the, the information that I've seen is there's there's no need to adjust your nitrogen rates based on based on the delayed planting. Uh, how, however, I would say that you know if you are planting late, you know we're all almost into June here, and you haven't applied nitrogen. Well, you know you're, I, I would think you would get better nitrogen use efficiency here because that that crop is going to grow rapidly and is gonna be able to take up that N more quickly. So you're gonna have greater synchrony between when that N was applied and when the crop takes it up compared to if you planted on April 20th and that, that crop was very slow to get off and growing and you had a lot of rainfall during that time and, and chance to, to lose N. So I don't think there's a need to adjust N rates, but I would say that if you haven't applied your N yet, you can probably get better efficiency than normal out of it with delayed planting. I think we put a supplement, supplemental N worksheet uh, in the uh, uh, chat box, uh, Anthony as well. So people can click on that and download what Jeff was just talking about um, in, in terms of that. Any other questions, uh, Anthony, that are percolating right there now before we jump over to talk to Seth? I think we have our corn covered pretty well, Dave. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Uh, we're privileged to have with us uh, just fresh out of the field, planting late last night, uh, Dr. Seth Nave down in southern Minnesota. So, Seth, uh, what's going on down south? Uh, what do you see? Are, are, uh, is everybody done? Obviously, uh, you weren't done, but you're getting a lot of plots in. Uh, how are things going? Well, things are things look pretty good in southern Minnesota. Definitely delayed, especially on the soybean side. Um, I would say, though, that, you know, I've got plots all over the state and I've never had a year where we've struggled so much. And it's part of it is locations of my particular uh, sites, but uh, things are really, really behind. And we've got I've got a couple farmers that are really talking about 
prevent plan already because it just looks so bad in West Central Minnesota. So I know I know there's a lot of struggles out there. I think Yoakum captured it pretty well. As I this is what I hear is people have been moving back and forth between crops, especially in Western Minnesota where we have a variety of crops. People have been planting, getting sugar beets done where they can, getting some small grains in, and then bouncing around corn and soybeans from field to field based on what's ready. You know, the, that tiled ground, um, farmers are getting in and getting it done. And whether that was going to be in corn or soybeans, they've got to, got to put in. In Southern Minnesota, it looked like mostly what I saw was corn went in in a pretty good shape, um, maybe a little bit delayed in a lot of areas. And then we got held up a little bit before some of the soybeans. I did, didn't see a lot of soybeans up, but the corn looks really good. Uh, so I think we're in really good shape. The beans are planted for the most part across most of Southern Minnesota. Uh, except some pockets. And those farmers really know what those pockets are. They deal with this every year uh, in a lot of the, or nearly every year in those fields that are really low and, and poorly drained. And so farmers are very accustomed to replanting or delayed planting in those fields. So talk a little bit about uh, what does our applied research tell us in terms of how late can we go before we're too late in terms of changing our maturity group in soybeans from what we intended to plant probably early to, uh, to mid-May, when do growers, whether Southern or Central, or for that matter, even up in Yoakum's territory in Northwestern Minnesota, when do we need to be switching maturity groups or can we stay with what we have and how long can we do that? No, let's back up a little bit. So the yield penalty so far, I think soybean is, is not dissimilar from what Jeff mentioned in terms of a yield penalty. We're still in a situation where we can plant soybeans and be at a at ninety percent of our yield potential uh, at this point. When we look at the figures, it shows us that we haven't had any years when we plant this late and we maximize yields across a range of planting dates. So, in other words, we're not we've taken ourselves out of this kind of bin buster category for for record yields. Uh, but on the other hand, as Jeff mentioned with corn, we have the right in soybean, it's, it's a little bit later in the year, but we have that right kind of August into September weather. And we could have very, 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 very good yields this year. So uh, we didn't, we're not going to have the ideal planting date, but for the year, but we've got, uh, we're well positioned for, for very good yields. Okay. The other piece that Jeff mentioned is really important with soybean as well as the maturity uh, rating maturity groups in soybeans. And this is a little bit of a nuance, uh, I think, that's that's changed a little bit over previous years. Basically, we've said there's no yield penalty through most of the month of May up until the last week and into, into early June when we see things tick down. On the other hand, farmers have been really pushing towards long season varieties and early planting. And so that's changed this uh, equation or calibration or thought process a little bit. We, for those farmers that have really pushed long, for long maturities uh, and have tried to aggressively plan in late April, early May, uh, there has been a yield dip um, that we can see in these, in these studies up until now. So um, if farmers are planting a very conservative maturity group, um, planned on planting maturity group, a conservative maturity group, they can still continue to plant that all the way through mid-June, uh, no problem. Um, on the other hand, uh, farmers that really pushed for long season varieties and tried to plant those early and were, were held out, 
um, uh, they probably need to be considering pushing, um, changing maturity groups a little bit earlier. Uh, but frankly, the yield penalty for too long a soybean varieties is very, very little. And so there isn't really any urgency to, to make any wholesale changes until June 10 for anybody, uh, even if they've got a longer season variety. They're just those long season, long maturity varieties that farmers have just aren't going to have that yield potential that we saw with a, with a uh, potential early planting. Anthony, were there, was there uh, any questions that are pertinent to uh, soybeans that came in earlier? I don't have it beyond the list, but I do have one for you, Seth. I'm thinking about, well, just all the things we're planting each year. Soybeans pretty much always are the last thing. And you know, there's a lot of fatigue, tired of planting. What are some good things to keep in mind that you make sure you're just either mistakes that could easily be made, um, anything that kind of comes at the end of the season, especially for soybean, that you think would be good to have as a reminder to people? Well, a good reminder uh, from my standpoint is just continue to use best management practices. There's, um, there's always an interest in, especially when we get held out by rain, farmers start thinking about stuff and trying to change things up. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe I'm going to get the drill out so I can get very narrow row soybeans instead of my, my 30 inch rows or 22s. Uh, to try to capture a little bit of yield advantage. Um, the reality is there's reduced row spacing, increases yields throughout the season. And the additional yield captured during late planting is marginal. The way I interpret that is for farmers is say, you know, use what you've got, use your best management practices that you would do for early planting, do the same thing late, don't switch things up. You have an opportunity to maybe increase seeding rates slightly, but on the other hand, if you've got good soil conditions and really warm temperatures, as Jeff mentioned, these things really are gonna pop out of the ground. If we get 100% of the seed germinate and emerge, uh, we do not need to increase our seeding rates for late planting either. So again, um, I think the, the most important thing for farmers to do is just maintain what they've figured out works well on their farm for normal planting and continue that uh, as we get a little bit delayed and don't try to undo some, uh, some good um, management practices that you've, that you've, that you've fine-tuned over the years uh, for delayed planning. All right, thank you, Seth. Uh, Dave, I think you're chomping at the bit to talk about a certain question about herbicides and late planting. What's uh, been going well, on there I in terms of thoughts? I wanted to uh, just bring up this point. Uh, Dr. Aaron Hager, who is a wheat scientist down in Illinois uh, with the University of Illinois, put together a list of probably uh, of products that you do not want to apply over the top of emerged corn and soybeans. And, and they oftentimes deal with this a little bit ahead of us, given you know their, their uh, geography. And so he actually pulled this together for back in, on May 16th. But I think it's still appropriate here. And, and the products and the labels are going to be the, you know, going to be the same, whether they're Illinois here, or, uh, Minnesota and so forth. But if you think about it for corn, I'm going to use mainly trade names here, but products like Sharpen, Verdict, uh, Princep, Fierce, um, you know, other states outside of Minnesota and some areas could still use Isoxaflutol and Rimsulfuron. Those are products that either you're applied alone or as a premix uh, that you don't want to apply over the top of merged uh, uh, corn on the soybean side. 
Um, uh, there's a number of different products, and some of these are are generic as as well as the uh, traditional trade names. So you'll have to cut me a little slack there, Anthony, in terms of that, because there's other uh, products that have come on the line. But in general, with soybeans, we talk about the authority-based products, a lot of the Valor-based based products, uh, Prowl, Sharpen, Zigil Pro, uh, Lorox, uh, Canopy, uh, Command, uh, for, for example. Uh, there's a component in Boundary called Tricor. Uh, those are all things that obviously you want to avoid in terms of making sure you understand the label over the top, whether it's a, a single product or oftentimes they're in a premix situation too, um, especially on a crop that is emerged. Now, there is a whole host of things that you can do as well. So if you're not sure, uh, talk to your agronomist, uh, your crop consultant, uh, your supplier and so forth. If uh, you haven't had a chance for a pre-emergence weed control and the crop is already up or emerging or starting to crack through, uh, those are concerns uh, um, as well. Uh, we had a while ago, we had a little bit of a crusting in some places, uh, quite a bit actually around the, uh, the Twin Cities area here and, and so forth. We've got an upcoming uh, field school in July. Uh, and so we had a lot of that that we had to deal with even on, in the St. Paul area as well and replant and, and that type of thing. But I would caution, you know, rotary hoe is a possibility here. But of course, like Seth says, you know, if we're at that quick stage and that hypocotyl arch is coming up, uh, you don't want to tear your, you know, obviously you're injure your beans back out. So uh, I think today is Wednesday. We're getting a little bit of slight rain, but thankfully we're not getting a heavy uh, rain coming through at this point in time. I just want to say, is there uh, any last comments um, uh, from our panelists here, uh, Seth Yoakum or Jeff, as we close out that we didn't talk about that you wanted to bring up here as we conclude today's program? I guess we don't have any other uh, other points on that. Anthony, other questions? Anything else that came through? There is one more question asking about um, just from, I believe, yep, Liz Stahl. She's asking, uh, it's raining today in some parts of the state, more in the forecast. Uh, and you know, some people still have seed in the bag. Are, is there any advice for making calculations on planting late versus taking prevented plant acres instead, especially with high crop prices, high input? Obviously, a lot going on. Uh, any quick guidance from anyone on kind of what people should be keeping in mind for that? I think that's a tough one, Anthony, you mm -hmm. know, given, yeah. given the economics. And I think you want to talk to a lot of different people, including whether it's crop insurance or um, your, your local, uh, perhaps uh, in FSA and other people on there. There probably are, I think there are some decision aids, um, whether they're the, the farm management agronomics departments in various states. I know that Iowa, uh, for sure, in the Dakotas and Minnesota, I would search those out uh, as well at this point in time uh, to make those decisions. I don't think we're quite there uh, uh, yet as, uh, as, as well uh, with that. Um, I just uh, want to mention, you know, there's a lot of people that sold a lot of crop early. So you, there's going to be a, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of farmers that are going to be in a real pinch uh, if they can't get a crop in. So that's, 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 a, that's a pretty big hammer on that one. I just uh, put up on the screen here. This is the actually the Illinois farm doc where Dr. Uh, Hager uh, and it was May 16th. And if so, if you want to go back to that, it's called emerging crops and delayed pre uh, uh, herbicide applications. Uh, but you can search for that. But this is basically what you're going to find and and, and look at. And it's just some of the things that I talked about, uh, but uh, uh, through there. But again, they were dealing with some of this, you know, prior to where we were uh, dealing with before. But if you want to go back and 
because it's just it's just a one page. Uh, but they they have other things in terms of uh, of their production. Uh, but I think they're possibly back in the field. But they also have to obviously deal with it. It's a nice opportunity uh, to take advantage of things that happen south of you that sometimes end up happening back here in Minnesota. Uh, Anthony, I think that's it. Uh, yep, do you want to talk a little so. bit about what's going to be happening uh, uh, next week? We're, we'll be back again with a current crops uh, a topic uh, per se. And uh, then we're kind of go from there. And uh, anything else about closing out here and our questions? Yeah, uh, just that reminder that you know every week we formulate what the next week is going to be. So it's very much responsive to what field conditions are. Um, quick 30 second thing for me on the insect front uh, for pests, uh, black cutworm, Bruce Potter has been mentioning that uh, this is definitely the time to be out scouting if you had heavy flight in your area. So if you're concerned about that, especially Southern Minnesota had some good flight in some counties, uh, be out there looking for that. Alfalfa weevils starting to show up a bit, um, just starting to find larvae in some fields in Central Minnesota. So you might be seeing it. Uh, be sure to follow the thresholds for that. A lot of times you don't even need to spray for it. The mowing will take care of it for you. That's what I, I got think, for the insect update. I think we'll close it out there. So again, thank you everyone for attending Strategic Farming Field Notes. Again, we want to thank our sponsors, Minnesota Corn Growers and the Minnesota Soybean Growers. Otherwise, just a reminder, next week's session will be on Wednesday again. That will be June 1st. And with that, I'd like to thank our guests again for being on here today, taking time, especially out of planting to get done. And with that, have a great rest of the week and day, everyone. Thank you.